Welcome into RJ Bell's Dream Preview, Major League Baseball Edition. I'm Scott Satterberg, joined by former big league pitcher Josh Towers. You can follow Josh on Twitter at no, don't, Josh. I'm at Scott's on air. We're recording this uh, Monday afternoon as we gear up for another week of Major League Baseball here. The month of August is rolling on. Josh, it's heating up now, right? We're getting closer and closer to September, where in college football, we have a saying, the games in November are the ones you remember. In baseball, it should be the games in September are the ones you remember. I kind of like the first one. Like, <laughs> November? <laughs> well, no, actually, you know, for me, it's always like this. It's um, we, we play so many games, right? And we give away so many games in April. Uh, maybe we didn't prepare cor- correctly in spring training, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. We, we give away games early in the season that are no big deal because we know we have 100-plus to come. But then we come down to the last week of the season, the last series of the season, and we're trying to win a certain amount of games, and I need you to lose, and you got to lose, and I need to win. And if we just would have taken care of our business when it mattered at the mm-hmm. beginning of the season, we wouldn't be begging for this later. Like, every game is relevant, yes. right? no it, matter how far away it seems. That's the thing. In Major League Baseball, every game is worth the same. The same. It's not just, It's not like the games in, so I say, oh, the games in September are the ones you remember, but that's not, the, the truth is, yes, when it's crunch time, it means more because you're in a playoff race, mm-hmm. but it's still worth one win. Yeah. A win in yeah. September is the same as a win in April. And, you know, you saw it happen, what was it, last year when the Yankees got off to that incredible hot start and then they struggled down the stretch, but they were still able to have a good record at the end of the year yeah. because of how hot they started. started Look at what's up. happening with the Tampa Bay Rays. The best team in Major League Baseball in the first several months of the season, right? The record start to the season, they've been bad for a while now. Now, injuries have affected them, but they're still 75 and 51. They're still the top wild card in the American League, and that is because of the cushion that they built themselves early on in the year. Rays get some bad news. Shane McClanahan done for the year. They're already without Rasmussen, some other guys as well. The whole Wander Franco situation we don't have to get into, but he's out for the time being. Are you worried about this Tampa Bay team moving forward? Uh, They're just dangerous, and they've been down this road. I mean, the run differential is still like 161, I think. Mm -hmm. Kevin Cash is not afraid during the season to do what's right. They have playoff experience. They do it with so many different variations of players. Uh, really would never names that we know. They don't have big-name players. They're not long enough in a place to be able to create a big name, right? Wander Franco may be the biggest name because he's a massive prospect. Uh, Easy to hype those. Um, I don't – I just think that Tampa Bay is getting to a point where just getting there is enough. Again, we talked about the Mm. Blake Snell thing. Blake Snell – and every one of us in the world know Blake Snell never should have been pulled out of the game. Agreed. Never had a guy more locked in in a moment than what Blake was. Kevin Cash used to catch me, and I think Kevin was one of the best catchers I've ever had. He was genius at the way he sat. He was genius at the way he called a game. How he got us in the position to be able to have all of our pitches when we needed. The element of surprise, how we established what early, not showing too much of our stuff. Kevin was really, really good defensively behind the plate. Couldn't hit a lick. <laughs> right? It, it, he's not going to drive in enough runs to where if he can prevent us. Like, if your ERA behind the plate is five or four, Kevin's was two. Well, I need yeah. that all day. He's not driving in two runs a game. But when he can save it to me, he's one of the most lethal catchers, most important guys we can have. And so Kevin was – he was so – he knows what he's doing. 
um, to see him come susceptible to what? Well, we don't really want these guys facing the lineup three times. It's No, I don't. That's where, like, if I'm facing you three times or four times, that's where I'm probably locked in at my best. So to see him pull Blake Snell in that situation where they would have won the World Series. I think so, yeah. And and he felt probably the pressure from somebody upstairs or something different, or maybe the media is like, we got to answer the media too. It's crazy to me that that happened, knowing who Kevin was and all the stuff that Kevin just doesn't care. I'm, I, he doesn't care in a good way. And... But do you think there's pressure now on him because look at the injuries that they're having now with their they, pitching staff? No, they and, do every year. He blows them out. He runs his bullpen. Is the key to their? They just give me somebody that throws hard, and he knows how to put him in a position to succeed. But they also run him to the point where they're going to run him dry, and they're all going to get hurt. And so it's like we got this group of guys. They're going to get hurt. They start a season very good. As soon as they're hurt, we'll put this group of guys in. Then this group will come back. Then this group will come back. And then hopefully by the playoffs, everybody's kind of ready. They don't. That's just kind of how they run it. We don't really pay attention to that. But, like, these guys throw so hard, and they, they put them out there um, that they don't almost don't care. They get hurt. They know it's going to happen. So their style of, of playing works for them, and they have enough depth. They develop so well. They have enough depth. Again, I don't care what your name is. You have X, and so I can use that. And that's what they do. Um, I, again, I'm just going back to I think that they're getting so complacent on getting to the postseason um, and that's almost becoming good enough. And I know it's not, yeah. but it almost feels that way now. Right now, the Rays are three games back of the Orioles in the American League East. Yeah. The Orioles, God, the Orioles huh? are minus 285 to win the division. The Rays are plus 260 to win the division. Over the course of the next, let's call it 38 games left, do you think the Rays have a chance to win this division, or do the Orioles have this one locked up? No. No, not even close to locked up, the Orioles. Not even close. Uh, Toronto still has a chance to win this division, let's be honest. So what do we have? We have Blue 30. Jays. Oh, Blue Jays are eight and a half back. That's too far back now. All right, but what are we? One, uh, 110, 119, 125. All right, 125. So uh, 30, 32, 37 games, right? Yeah, it's, 37, it's, 38. It's, it's, yeah. it's unrealistic to, to an extent, but Baltimore is so young. They're so young that I don't know if there's enough le- – and I think the coaches have – is young as well, outside of one or two. I personally don't think that the Orioles know how to finish the season, and we've seen this way too many times. We discussed this, you and I, in depth before. The the, the, the pressure, um, and it's I can just I can branch off that word pressure, being <laughs> young in so many different ways, but they don't know how to handle it. You don't know how to finish the season. You're gonna fatigue. What did you do the last few months to make yourself? strong enough mentally and physically to last at the end of the season. And then when that comes, if you do make the postseason, you have more time, right? Well, they've always ended their season around September 1st, always, minor league kids. And so they don't have enough experience. They haven't played enough games. We see so many pitchers getting backed off anyways because, oh, he's at his limit. Mm-hmm. And then what happens to make the postseason, right? Well, then, so are we going to lose certain guys because of that? Um, when push comes to shove, your back's against the wall, do you have the experience to, to know how to handle it or – is there too much of inexperienced pressure put on you? And I think that's what the Orioles fall into is I don't think that they know how to finish the season. And I don't think there's enough veteran guys to, to team meet, to talk to them, to have these conversations that we have throughout the course of a season, whether it's on the bus, on the airplane, in the dugout, in between starts, randomly here or there. This is stuff that goes on behind the scenes all season that people don't know. That's the real teaching of what this is. I don't think the Orioles do. I don't think Tampa ever panics. 
All right, no matter what, I don't think they panicked. They've kept the same coaching staff for how long? Mm-hmm. With Matola and Cashy and the pitching coach and everybody. Um, Toronto, I think they have the pitching staff, the firepower to, to let that staff dominate and win. Um, I just don't think they play enough fundamental baseball. And I don't think Toronto fully knows that they are a pitch-first team. But if they rely on that the rest of the season, I don't think they're officially out of it, although it's very, very unrealistic. Well, maybe they're, think, a, maybe they're a team that just gets more dangerous in the postseason. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, I mean, think about Berrios. He's made every start since, like, 19. Hmm. You talk about a guy who's probably the, one of the most valuable people in baseball. And so we look at blanketed stats, but this guy has acquired so much knowledge because he hasn't missed a start. It just it's, it needs to be talked about more, right? So when you have stuff like that, if we relied on that, they'll they're more they're more likely to catch Baltimore than they are Tampa for sure, which wow. sounds weird, right? But yeah. that's that's the reality. So that that's why I feel about this division. I still feel like it's it's open, and then you got to go look at the schedule and see how many times they each play each other. Well, like, there's a, a series. Uh, Tampa and Baltimore will play a four game series in the middle of September in Baltimore. And that could be the series that determines the division. Because if it's still a three-game gap, you have a four-game series, bam, that changes the race right there. Yep, for sure. That's it, right? So we have a four-game series, and I sweep it. Yeah. Oof. Now you're in first place, and maybe you're never looking can't, back because there's only it. a week or so left yeah. in the regular season Ultimate. at that point. It's a series like that. That's why I said we, we, we want to at least win every series. Like We really try to simplify this process, right? I need to win every series from here on out. And then again, like Tyler, we talked about, you go back to like – Look at a game in September where I didn't use the bullpen right or I didn't pinch hit when I should have or, you know, some variation of, oh, well, we'll get them tomorrow. Well, there's, there's oh, well, moments, but they're not necessarily oh, well, moments. I'm trying to teach you something, something that I'm going to leave you out there to bury yourself because you need to learn in this moment, hmm. uh, which is going to make you better for the rest of the season. So then I pick up games, although I gave one away. There's a difference in that, but I think we give up games early just because it's early. Yeah. But they all count towards all the same. One count. win counts the same mm, in April most. and in September. You mentioned uh, team meeting when you were talking about the Orioles yeah. and their veterans and, and or lack of veterans, if you will. The Yankees are a disaster right now. They've oh. lost eight straight games. Let me put this into perspective for the listeners. It's the first eight-game losing streak for the Yankees since August 19 to 26, 1995. That's the last time they had an eight-game losing streak, and they are in jeopardy right now of ruining a streak of 30 straight winning seasons. Since Aaron Judge went on the IL when he did when he hurt himself at Dodger Stadium, 24-39 and since that date. Uh, The Yankees had a team meeting on Friday after their sixth straight loss, but then continued to lose as they lost two more games after that. So now eight straight losses for the Yankees, who find themselves nine games out of a wild card. I think they're out of the playoff picture for sure. But as a former player, what goes on in those team meetings? What is being discussed? Who's speaking? And how does the team react to that? Because as betters, we want to know, when we hear the team is having a meeting, Do we rally behind that team? Do we bet on that team? Or do we continue to fade them? Because obviously the Yankees didn't respond from that meeting. They lost back-to-back games after that meeting. I mean, we know they can't hit. Everybody knows they can't hit. And if you don't, then again, you're like what happens to us when we're young is we get caught up in who the player is. Oh, that's John Carlos Stanton. John Carlos Stanton can't hit a lick. 
if I make a mistake, the ball is, I'm not getting it back. But I'm not getting it back with any major league hitter. I just, again, there's names, but they're not that great. DJ LeMay is one of the best hitters in our game, and he's not a good hitter right now. His last two years he hasn't. What changed in DJ? Um, Judge is the one where i got to respect all the way around. They're Mm -hmm. not a good hitting team, and there's no protection. They're all the same. They're home runs or nothing with a lot of strikeouts. That's very easy to navigate through a lineup. I hate to say that, but it is. Even for a guy like me who doesn't punch anybody out. It's, I don't, I'm on the mound very confident in this situation. Uh, contact guys, foul the ball off, keep the bats alive. Those are, those are dangerous boys. So they're, they're not a lineup where, I mean, Billy McKinnon's in the lineup in like fourth or fifth or sixth some days. I mean, it's just not good. Um, it's like when I go to the mound, right? I do a mound visit. Do, you, do we ever go to the mound when, it's, uh, when you're doing good? No. Oh, God, I might break your rhythm. I mess it up. Yeah. Um, I told you I went to the mound during a no-hitter one time a couple years ago when I was coaching with the Mets. And I asked my manager, I said, do you mind if I go? And he goes, no, go ahead. He trusts me fully, Pedro Lopez. Um, and when I got back, I took heat from another coach and a couple of players. Like, what are you doing? you got a no-hitter going, blah, blah, blah. But I saw something that I didn't like. I was very uncomfortable with this situation. Um, and the pitcher thanked me for going out there. He was gassed. And I knew what was happening. Yeah. But what I really knew, what was going to happen, if I allowed this to continue, what was going to happen, and I didn't want to. I wanted to nip it in the butt now. I didn't care that he has no hitter. Right? That's great on a personal achievement, but our goal is not that. And in minor leagues, our goal is about development, too. More for, I mean, it's the most important part of it. So he thanked me for doing it, and I explained what I did to everybody after the fact. And it was, it was something that really helped this kid moving forward. Um, we don't do that enough, right? We don't trust what we really see and what we know because if he gives up the hit the next at bat, I'm getting yelled at. Who cares? It was like the fourth inning. Who cares if he gives up a hit? Mm-hmm. But that's not how it is. So, like, we're so afraid of, of failing or doing something that, that we, don't, we don't always prepare for what we know is right. So in this situation... Anytime guys go to the mound, it's usually I'm not doing well. I'm doing, we all know I'm struggling, right? So then you come to give me a, a blow, give me a breath, talk about a certain situation. Every now and again, you'll see me go to the mound because you're coming up and you're a dangerous dude right now. So I want to talk about this situation. That's slightly different. Um, and so when I go to mounds, I say this all the time. I usually talk, especially young kids, amateur kids, I talk about girls. A girl in the stands, <laughs> some hot mom. Like I talk about something to where that's exactly why. What you just did, Scott. We laugh. We relax. Yeah. I need you to relax. But well, do you remember? Uh, stress. Remember the scene from '61? Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. When, when Maris is is going crazy, he's losing his hair. He's all stressed out, and he's standing there in the on deck circle. And Manta walks up to him, and he goes, "Is it just me, or is that blonde back there? I got the biggest parrot you ever seen." Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, that's exactly what <laughs> just it is. Just loosen them up. <laughs> and we're dudes, so we giggle right away, man. We start to smile. We breathe. Like everything, just like ah, relaxes. I do it to the players all the time, and the boys laugh, and they have so much fun. And then, you know, I was asking a kid one day on the mound, I was like, do you talk like you never talk? I was like, can you say something back to me? So I started saying something about a girl. And I was like, bro, you got no game. I know that. I go, you got (laughs) no game. And then he goes, what? And I was like, bro, you can't. You don't speak ever. I go, go, you probably have girls that other dudes, like, get because you're afraid. And I'm just running. And this, this, I go, he goes, Coach, I got way more game than you. And this is the first time I've ever heard the kid talk. And so now we're having this banter about who has more game on the mound. And I was like, where is that confidence when you're playing baseball? I was like, act like, dude, it's you and some other dude, and you guys are both spitting game to the same girl, and you're definitely getting this. Like, can you show me that person? Like, to see that come out of him on the mound, I know we didn't talk about baseball one time. Not one time about the couple walks that he had nothing. And it was awesome because that's what I'm striving for. I say all this. 
Because a team meeting, everybody knows we're suck when we're, we're sucking when we're 0 and 7. Obviously, something has to be addressed. And a lot of times we do have personal team meetings, player only, player called. And sometimes it is a manager type or a coach type called. Um, why not have the meetings ahead of time? If we're not realistic about what it is, so we're, we're not going to have a team meeting when we know we're struggling, when we know offensively we're not getting it done. I know that you're a selfish hitter. If I'm afraid to say that to you, we're not a team anyways, right? Hmm. So then I just let it go, let it go until it's too late. And so I feel like with the Yankees, it's just not the right time. This, this team meeting stuff, and maybe they did, should have been dressed two months ago, three months ago, last month. They should have been dressed ahead of time. What are we trying to accomplish? Because I'll tell you what, when I was on that team and we won the World Series – I, that's what I was most amazed about, and not even in the big league, Scotty. In AAA, hmm. players would post on the whiteboard, uh, this is our goal this series, or this is our goal the next 20 games, or we would, uh, your, your beard's getting a little long, you have to cut that down a little bit. Like we, <laughs> we were there for each other, right? And so it made us appreciate and respect. And so when I was on the Yankees back in 2009, um, that's all I ever heard anybody talking about every day, and I don't care who it was, Alex Rodriguez. Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Nick Swisher, Eric Hinsky, Jerry Harrison. I don't care who it was. Chad Godin. It didn't matter who it was. The goal every day was how do we win this, and that was never talked about. That's just how the conversations went down. It was like I'm sitting here watching going, damn, all everybody ever does is just talk about and prepare how we're going to win today's game because this is the most important game today. I never saw that anywhere on any other team I'd ever been on except for the 97 single-A team I was on. And then all of a sudden, 2009, it was our triple-A team and our big league team with the Yankees. It was an atmosphere and a demeanor. So things were addressed. Team meetings, player-only meetings, that was addressed when we were going well. That was addressed because something was coming up that was very important. An eight-game set at Boston and at home coming up. That's a very, even though we're well ahead, it's a very important series for so many other things that, that have to happen. And so we would address it. We don't wait till it's too late. And this team is waiting till it's too late. So where's the leadership? Who's running this this leadership? Who is who's the J, the, the is the Jason Hayward who has the team meeting during the rain delay in Cleveland? Yeah. Right? When it was the right time to mm-hmm, do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Where, where is that? We don't see that. So my my point is anybody can have a team meeting when it's when we're struggling. But why do we always wait for failure to address something? Because winning is what we want to like maintain that's sure. what we like we go out there and I throw eight scoreless or you go four for four you're gonna have a you're not caring the world right are you processing what happened or are you just happy right but then we go over oh, four or four k's and I get rocked and I'm gonna process every little aspect of what happened yep why didn't I process what the thing that I'm trying to duplicate the most why did I have success why was I so good because that's what I want to do and we sometimes just take it for granted because we expect success out of us and we don't focus enough on that aspect and so I just feel like with this team meeting sometimes it's just a little too late you guys have been in last place for a long time that is not where the New York Yankees belong and ever are and I don't care this is the New York Yankees this is not other organizations that rebuild or do all this other stuff this is the New York effing Yankees this is unacceptable it's unacceptable in the history of their franchise they're one of the only teams that have a the screen is always going playing the history of the Yankees when you're taking batting practice. When you're a fan in the stands, you're always watching us players. You think I'm watching the hitters? I'm like this the whole time. I'm watching the board. I'm looking back at the swing. I'm watching the board. And I'm learning something about the history. Hmm. You don't see the history taught to you 
anywhere else in baseball like they do in New York with the Yankees. And it's why there's so many Yankee fans. It's why everybody wants to be a Yankee. It's why everybody knows the Yankees. Because when I know something about your past, I have more of, of like, I feel more a part of it. Sure. And it's the only organization that does that the way they do it. And so it is unacceptable to lose as a New York Yankee. So when you see the team struggling with the eight straight losses, season going down the drain, yep. they're staring in the face now of a three-game set at home against a bad Washington Nationals team. Do we back do we back the Yankees here this week, or is this team just unbettable right now? How do you bet them? I mean, again, and it's like it's a simple bet the other day with Garrett Cole faces Boston. And I say simple. And they still lose. Well, no, there's, there's, well, that's my point. Yeah. He always loses versus Boston. He never pitches well versus Boston, right? He never does, especially in Boston. So for me, every time Garrett Cole faces the Red Sox, I automatically bet the Red Sox. I don't care about who's on the other side. The lineups I care about, zero. He never, in my opinion, throws well versus the Red Sox. So that's an automatic bet that I'm going to bet every single time. It's like a bet on Friday, as I told you. Friday day games at Wrigley. It's eleven twenty game. First inning, yes, is something I bet on that game every single time, no matter what. Because if you look at the long-term statistics of it, I'm gonna, I've am gonna i been very, very successful Sorry, at it. Hmm. Um, so it's a blind bet for me. Garrett Cole facing the Red Sox is a blind bet for me. Now, he's the guy like, like Max Scherzer um, this past weekend on Sunday. I think the Texans had lost three in a row, and you got Scherzer versus Hauser against the Brewers, and like you pay him to win that game. Yeah. They lost that game as well. Yep. And as soon as he came out after seven, he gave up three. They scored one. I think they gave up a few more and actually got rocked. Like, I pay these guys for that, for that game right there. Uh, he has not had that versus the Red Sox. So there's a lot more that goes into it. But, again, last year's Yankee team, every starter, they basically averaged seven innings. They set the tone for the bullpen. The offense didn't have to do too much. They fundamentally just had to win the game because the starting staff kept them in it and put them in a position where they're always one or two up or down so then I can move you over, move you in. I didn't have to sit back and hope for a five-run inning or hit a three-run homer. I didn't have to. Different team, right? Yeah. So then is it Booney's fault? People are trying to bring Brian Cashman. It's not Cashman's fault. I don't care what anybody says. He's the best GM in history to me. Like, this is my personal no, one, no one's won as much as he has. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Right? He steps ahead. Whose fault is it? We've gone through how many pitching coaches on that organization lately in the big leagues? We went and got a kid out of college recently. I think Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on this. Like, they like, bring in Casey now to be the hitting coach. Who are you? Yeah. Who, wh- what is your identity? And who's standing up for this? There's, there's a reason the Yankees have facial health policy. The reason we have a hair policy. There's a reason why we wear collared shirts on the road, even in the minor leagues. There's a reason for all this. Not because... Um, like, they're old-school rules or I'm trying to be rude or anything like that. But, like, it, it, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you feel a part of something. They're paying my contract. They're paying my, my salary. The reason I have food on the table for my family. Um, you, you, you appreciate and respect it so much more. And I feel like all of that is lost all of a sudden. We're going to wait for Aaron Judge to do everything? Come on, man. Yankees right now for tomorrow's game, uh, minus 185 with Carlos Rodon on the mound against Josiah Gray as they host the Nationals for a three-game set. Well, then, okay, so, yeah, so then we have that. And so, like, you would think that they would sweep. Nationals aren't as bad as we think they are. I mean, to be the Phillies, uh, Sunday Night Baseball at Little League Park, right? Um, 
you would hope that they would run this. Carlos Rodon's still coming back. He's still working back from everything. Mm-hmm. He hasn't pitched enough to get in consistency. He's not going to go deep anyways. The bullpen has been struggling bad. It's always been a backbone of the of the of the Yankees. Um I, I mean, how would you how could you you can't lay minus one eighty five no. with the Yankees. You can't. God, no. You can't. You just they can't hit. Yeah, you can't. You can't lay that price with the Yankees. I mean, eventually, they're going to win. We lost nine in a row one day in Toronto. It felt like I'd imagine what prison feels like. No clock. <laughs> the days. The days feel like weeks. You know, hours feel like days. It like it was like the longest stretch in history. We lost nine in a row, and it felt like a hundred in a row. It, you don't know what to do. You start like. Do I have the same meal? Do I switch up my meal? Do I park in the same spot? Do I not park in the same spot? Do we switch it up on the bench? Do we change seats on the bus? What do we do? You're, you don't know what to do. And you, everybody puts so much pressure on themselves. I got to get a hit this at bat. I have to throw a scoreless inning this at bat. I have to do – I don't have to do any of that. I just have to put myself in a position to get myself into a hitter's count yeah. or work ahead in the count because I know the percentages of success go up in my favor. But we lose the fundamentals, the crawl before you walk, and then we put – so much pressure on we have to, we have to, we have to. But then I got nine I have tos offensively, and you're not going to do it. It's not going to get it done. It's very, it's not a fun situation to be in. I want to talk about pressure on players when it comes to, yes, playoff races, but also individual awards. Uh, right now, the National League Cy Young is a fascinating race. Uh, Zach Gowan is the favorite right now to win the award. He's had a tremendous season for the Diamondbacks. Gowan is plus 175 to win the Cy Young. Blake Snell, who, after a rough start, has been as dominant as anybody in Major League Baseball, is the second favorite at plus 210. Snell is scheduled to start tomorrow as the Padres have uh, a series here against the Marlins, and I don't know, they're scheduled to play tonight, weather permitting. I think the Reds-Angels game already got postponed. I think the Padres are okay. I think that game goes off tonight, so Snell is scheduled to go tomorrow. But when a guy has a chance to win an award like that, whether he's done it before or he hasn't. So how does the pitcher handle the pressure each start at the end of the year when you're in an awards race like this is magnified because if you give up three runs as opposed to one run, all of a sudden your odds change and the voters don't look at you the same. Yeah, so the reality is is we're all aware of everything, but no one's... No one's constantly focusing or specifically focusing on those awards. So Blake Snell is not going out there to pitch to win the Cy Young. If it happens, it happens. There's a lot of things in his control, but out of his control. Again, they're currently trying to make the postseason, mm-hmm. um, and that's really where their focus is. I'm trying to pull up and see where they're at. Um, six back. They're in yep. a bad place, right, obviously, looking at this. But Blake Snell is not necessarily – Going out there, Justin Snell, uh, the Merrill Kellys, Zach Gallen, who else is having great years? I mean, not a ton. Spencer Strider. Um, it's crazy for that that a lot of people are focused on the uh, strikeouts more than anything, which I've never understood, but Spencer Strider's dominating that category. The innings pitch is huge, and that's why Sandy Alcantara was such a massive part of this. I mean, what I'm seeing innings-wise is like 169 right now, which is... Logan Webb um, is one of the highest, if not the highest, for the National League. Mm-hmm. Um, and Webb's the fourth favorite right now to win the Cy Young. Well, he's not going to win. Yeah, in my opinion, he's not even close to winning that. Um, 169, 99, 326. It's just, it's not enough. Um, 
But the innings pitch, who that's got to crank up a little bit. Where is uh, – I know he hasn't had the year, but Sandy, he's at 164. God, he's always up there. He's had an off year, but he's been really good lately. So inning pitch, strikeouts. I, I think the wins have kind of taken a backseat, which is, to me, the most important part because if I'm going deep in the game, that means I'm giving my team a chance to win, which means I'm going to win more games. So I still think that's very, very important. If any pitch is going five a lot or six, they're, they're out. Um Think about the Cubs, not the greatest team. Justin Stone's 14 and 3 with a 2.8. He's made almost yeah. every start. Uh, the problem is, in and do the math, 23 starts, 132 innings. It just doesn't seem like a lot, but less than a hit an inning. His strikeouts are less than a strikeout per inning. That's going to be the thing that kills him. But that's been one of the most dominant guys there is. Only 10 home runs given up. He's been amazing. Um, so do you favor the record more or the, I like the personally ERA? do, but I know that's not how it's judged. Because right, because Gallon's the favorite. He's thirteen and five, but Snell's so good. Snell's got the lowest ERA in baseball, but he's ten and eight. Two six five is the lowest ERA in baseball. Yeah, ten and eight on a losing team. Um, again, he's thirty innings short of some of these other guys. Like I think that's a big, big problem. His strikeouts are great. His walks are through the roof, though. There's seventy eight walks, right? Like. That's over a walk every two innings. That's, that's yeah, Gallon Gallon has 33 walks. Yeah, it's, so I don't like this race is so open right now. Uh, I think Justin Steele should be it, but the strikeouts are going to be a reason he's not it. Justin, so he's nine to one right now, Justin. Yeah, Steele. Zach Gallon is is going to be the play. I mean, he has over a strikeout inning. His walks are low. His hits are really good at 137 and 162. He's 13 and five on a team that's starting to struggle now. But you know, guys like Zach Gallon and Merrick Kelly are the reason they are. I think Zach Gallon is clearly, in my opinion, I say clearly, the favorite for this award currently. But keep in mind, we got eight starts left. Eight starts. If I go seven innings, eight starts, 56 innings, throw that on there. Where are my strikeouts at? How many wins can I chalk up? Um, if anybody gets to 20, even though I saw the lefty from L.A. had 20 a couple of years ago and didn't win the Cy Young. If anybody gets to 20 wins, which is not that realistic, maybe Justin Steele, Zach possibly, but he'll have to win out. Um, that's definitely should clinch it, right? But I think Merrill Kelly, sorry, Zach Gallon. Currently, with the 162 innings, which is up in the top, uh, I think Zach Gallon is hes the favorite, in my opinion, and by a decent amount. And then also, keep in mind, too, what have you done for me lately? I go 6-0 in April. I go 6-0 in September. You're going to remember September more than you're going to remember April. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so then there's that. So who, who's going to finish out? Guys like Blake Snell, Merrick Kelly. These guys are more veteran stuff now. These guys have been around for a little bit. That's um, why people talked about McClanahan last year. Mac was out. He was never winning the Cy Young. <laughs> and I say that, hindsight's twenty twenty. Josh, I got it. No. Go back to anything we did on Visa and anything else. He was out. He was never going to be allowed to pitch enough innings. He was always going to be pulled short. And that is huge coming down the stretch. They were monitoring him so bad that he was never going to be able to give us enough to qualify in the, in the eyes of the voters for that. Although, wow, what a year he had. Yeah. He was always out. Yeah, I bet him this year. So that didn't look good uh, for me. Well, he got hurt. I mean, he was he's, he's had, had a great start. But how good is he? He's he's phenomenal. He's so good. Where's the end? Let's go to the AL real quick. He's uh, the AL side. Garrett Cole's the favorite. And, uh, Ten and four with the three. Just don't face Boston. You'll be fine. His strikeouts are down for some reason this year. And that's another thing about strikeouts down this year in baseball. These hitters swing at everything. And it goes back to what you and I talked about off air. We had the White Sox in Chicago the other day. Mm-hmm. It's a ninth inning. The Christopher uh, Morel walk-off. Clevenger threw a great game, gets pulled after seven, fantastic game he throws. It's three to, it was 3-0 at that point. It's 3-1 going in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, the reliever comes in, and these guys are just throwers. 
And again, they throw these sinkers away from righties that run back into the barrel. I don't want that. And again, a sinker is supposed to go down, not across. And then sinkers are they're contact pitches. Let's be honest about this. I hit it because it goes down. Beat in the ground. Give me a ground ball. I got a lot of midfielders. Mm-hmm. So what happens? We get two guys on. There's two outs, I believe. He gets ahead. Everything's down, down, down. Foul ball, foul ball. It's one and two count. Uh, put a ball in the dirt. It's a one and two count. And now he sniffs strikeout because we're so taught that strikeouts are the end of the world. We want these. That instead of pitching based off of like a one and two count of, of a four-seam fastball down away to a right in that situation after a slider, they're thinking something off speed. If I throw that fastball down and away to where it stays straight or baby cuts, he's going to take it almost 90% of the time. Because he thinks it's going to move yeah, outside like the pitch before. Yes, yeah. right. And I'm starting on the same plane as a pitch that was a ball. As well. Ideally. We're keeping it there. <laughs> yeah, well, pitching-wise. Yeah. And so what does he do? He tries to throw as hard as he can to get the strikeout because he sniffed it. He throws a sinker. It runs it back across the plate. It stays belt high. And this guy hits a three-run homer. Game over. And it was just, when I watched this, I was just in shock at, like, pitching is so lost in, in baseball, and especially by relievers, because we've put this emphasis on just give me somebody that throws hard and go blow a buy-in for an inning. Well, these guys don't care. No one mm-hmm. cares if you throw 100. It, 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 when you do stuff like that, they don't. And I'm just, it's just mind-blowing. And who's teaching? Like, who's going back and going, listen, this is the why this happened? And so... If you reverse this or this or this or top talk, then you start to understand it. And then you start to, that's why I like when guys start. Starters go seven, eight, nine innings. You have a lot to learn. I can't pitch to you the same way every time, four at bats. You're going to jump me, right, at some point. So I got to learn. I got to be willing to back off. I got to mm-hmm. be willing to add on. I got to be willing to pitch in, pitch away, four strikes, four balls, all this stuff. Um, if relievers would learn to do that with their stuff, hitting would be impossible in the big leagues. Are you a believer in the Cubs? They're three games out of the division right now. They have the highest run differential in that division, plus 65. The Brewers, who are in first place, are a plus five. Everybody else is negative. I gave them out at five to one weeks ago to win the division, the Cubs. And the Cubs now are, they're the second favorite in that division at plus 220. The Brewers are minus 240. Are you you a believer in the Cubs? Did you believe in the Cubs before the season started? No. And so what changed? I saw when the whole division was stinking and every single team, even the first place team was the Brewers or actually was the Reds at that point, uh, had a negative run differential and the Cubs had a positive run differential. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching them go on these streaks of winning, you know, four out of five, winning seven out of eight. And I said, man, maybe the Cubs are good. Yeah. And I think they surprised themselves. Bellinger, obviously. Who expected Justin Steele? Exactly, That's but, my but point, right? Bellinger having Strowman's res- having his best year ever, and Bellinger having the resurgence is a Bellinger. huge part of their offense. Yeah, because I kicked you out. You weren't good enough. His, yeah. he, he turned Hollywood. He became the star, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I go, you know what? I'm good with you. One MVP. I don't care. I'm good with you. And then all of a sudden, our you know our egos checked. I was like, oh, hold on a second. Wait, so you broke up with me? Wait. I'm supposed to break up with you, right? And so that's what happened with Bellinger. He's having a phenomenal season. The Brewers did the same thing every year, too. That's why they, they, they are not built to win in the postseason. That's why they never do. They're built to beat this division. They're built to get into the postseason, and then that's good enough for them. Yeah, This is the way they play baseball, so it's an embarrassment. Um, because, like Derek Jeter, I mean, if, we, if it's World Series or nothing, like that's our goal is to win the World Series. That's it. Um, but no, the Brewers are just happy to get there. I didn't, yeah. The division is so light. It's so weak. Um, I never saw the Cubs as a team, but Donsby, uh, Dansby Swanson was a great addition. The kid from Japan has been fantastic. A um, couple power bats, 
you know, again, you added the right pieces at the right spot defensively. They do some pretty cool stuff. Their bullpen's been pretty respectful for the most part, right? And Kyle Hendricks is always going to put you in, leave you in the game to give you a chance. So they do – if they're in other divisions, they're not competing. But in this division, they have the team to stay in it. Um, three games is a series too, right? Yeah, I don't and, know and they I play – actually, they have six games left against the Brewers this season. The thing is, is they're going to – if they're only going to go 500 on the road, which I guess around baseball is probably not the end of the world, uh, I got to be a little bit better at home than 35 and 30. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee, they're five and five on both sides, right? And then the other thing is, uh, teams above 500, the Cubs are seven games below. That has to clean up. You got to be able to beat winning teams. You have to. Yeah. Right. I can't rely on just one guy to do it. Um, Here's the Cubs remaining. That's so hard. Here's the Cubs remaining schedule. They have three with Atlanta, six with the Brewers, three with the Giants, seven with the Diamondbacks, four with the Reds. They have six with the Rockies, seven with the Pirates, three with the Tigers. So there's wins to be had against those bad teams. But the fact that they have the six games against the Brewers, the team that they're chasing by three, I, I think it. they have a very good chance to win this division. What's more important to you? Uh winning those two series? I guess I'm asking this question wrong because, of course, winning that series is the most important part. Or or beating the teams you should beat, beating the Tigers. Well, you got to do both. The, you have to do both. Because you, you can't afford – I mean, not the, the Yankees always struggled with this, right? The Yankees would have um, – you know, they'd have like a losing record against, against, the, against a bad team. And it, like, it didn't no, make just sense. Go back to when you say the Yankees, the demeanor. I know, again, I got on paper. Look on paper. There's the greatest team ever assembled. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only about winning, and the demeanor was set. There was nothing else. I don't care. And there's a reason those guys all have Hall of Fame names or, or, or stats or, or we know they are. is because they believed in winning or nothing, World Series or bust. They believed in this, and there was nothing else that was acceptable to them. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't a saying. It wasn't for posts on social media or likes it was it was it was a real environment and a real thought um and they believe that and that's how they played and you just don't see that enough um god i would like to see cincinnati be the team to do it <laughs> but they're too young right they have like seven rookies something like something crazy they have a lot of rookies and they're exciting they're man ellie de la cruz is exciting we should almost put up the fade list right now on a graphic for our, our for our people listening man like i got I got Cincinnati fading. I got Baltimore. Not to say that Baltimore's not going to make the postseason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're in such a good place. But fading. Um, not having a, a very good record come September just because of the youth. But I can see the Phillies getting better. I can even see Miami slightly getting better. But I don't know about that. Obviously, the Braves. Uh, Milwaukee knows what it takes. So they're going to be comfortable. Uh, Arizona, we've already seen the decline. Pretty good, it seems like. Now, what a fun September. I want it to come down to, I don't want, I want it to come down to the last week of the season with the last two series. It will, especially with the third wild card Everything's on the line. I don't want the last series of the year, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Yeah, to already be determined. No, no, no. I I love that pressure. But then again, those games and those teams, those those are the most dangerous teams in the postseason. Because you've been playing winning baseball fighting, or competitive yeah. baseball yes. all the way to the end. And we see it. Like we saw it with the Phillies last year. A yes. wild card team goes yeah, all the way to the World Series. Let me ask you about another team that had a, a team meeting, and that is the Houston Astros. I know it's been a big theme of this episode is what goes on in these team meetings and whatnot. But the Astros have been struggling, and, and they're lucky, Josh. They're lucky that the Rangers 
have lost four straight in front of them because Ooh, with with, with the Astros struggling, they haven't lost ground in the division. They're two and a half games back of the Rangers in the West, but this team isn't right right now. Do you trust them because of their championship pedigree? This is the the, the reigning World Series champions, or do you not trust them because you haven't seen them earn it lately? Guess who is right right now? Who's that? Seattle. Yes, they are. Complete opposite. I mean, they went in there and swept you, if I'm not mistaken. They've won six straight. You know what they've been doing, which they did very well last year, is they're starting to score in the first inning again. And they hadn't done that for a while this season. But now, I mean, what did Julio Rodriguez has done last week? He had set some He set the record for most hits in a four-game span. This dude's been unconscious. And I like a little adjustment to his swing. The elbow was getting high. He was getting beat in. A little slight adjustment to that is timing. Um scoring first, especially on the road, scoring first and then your pitcher gets to go out there with the lead as he first steps on the mound, it's massive. It's big for the team. Um, that They did this all year last year, the best first inning bet ever in baseball. Yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. And so they're back to doing that, and again, it, it just sets the tone. So even yesterday, uh, sorry, whatever day it was, Sunday, sorry, when they um, – they took a big lead, but then the guy pitching for them gave it all back almost, but never enough to give the lead back, just just close enough. Yeah. And then so it was sustained, and they ended up winning it. Um, it, it it we are it's such like like football, like anything else. It is such a team sport, right? We we are so reliant. When I'm pitching with the lead, I'm comfortable and I'm willing to try stuff. When I'm pitching behind, I can't make mistakes, right? And then there's that I can make mistakes, but we have that mindset and it struggles. I don't know why Houston's struggling right now, to be honest with you. I mean, they're such a dominant, dominant team. Um Framber Valdez is one of my favorite pitchers, one of the most dominant guys in baseball. He's struggled lately, which kind of is kind of surprising. He is a heavy downhill, straight downhill, 96 sink, goes straight to the ground. He started to get up a little bit. It just shows you no matter what your stuff is, if you're up, it's easy. Um, Do you think the no-hitter affected him? No, but everybody, that's another betting angle. I don't care for as long as baseball is around. Every time someone does a no-hitter perfect game, bet against them the next time. Bet against him. And they won his next start, but he got rocked. But they won like that. I think it was the um Orioles, they won seven six. Grand slam. He gave up he gave up six runs. But it was the Grand Slam, I think they had that. Yeah, the the Kyle Tucker. Okay, so that's what it took to win it. So again, you were on the right side of that bet if you bet against him. Since, since the no hitter, six runs in seven innings, four runs in seven and yep. two thirds, six runs in five innings. And and then he's, he's given up sixteen runs in three starts since the no hitter. He still has enough time to to right this wrong, and then he's going to be fine. Like, he still has enough time to come into the postseason. Um, very, very nice. Who? Oh, uh, Philadelphia Phillies. What's my boy's name? Did a no-hitter. Why am I blanking? Michael Lorenzen. Yeah, the best shoes in the game. Uh, Lorenzen did a no-hitter. What did he do his next start? Got rocked. Rocked. You know why? We're so caught up in media coverage and social media coverage, and everybody's at my thing, and everybody wants to talk about it, and all the stuff i got to do, and the autographs, and the this ball might go to the Hall of Fame, and all blah, blah, blah. Everything that I did, when I'm struggling, no one talks to me, by the way. Nobody does. So I'm in the gym. I'm getting my work in. I'm studying video. I'm doing all my stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm boom, 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 boom. When all of a sudden that happens, I'm getting pulled in every direction. And so I, I still throw my bullpen, but hey, can I throw my bullpen an hour later? Or my brain's there, even though I'm doing this. And so the focus is slightly off, right? And so we're pulled in so many different directions that it's easy to lose focus for that next starter. Maybe I didn't study as much on that team coming up as I would have before. So for me, anytime somebody throws a no hitter, perfect game, uh, I'm betting against them every single time, no matter what. Yeah. Every single time. There's a couple of just 
there's a couple. There's just blind bets. Again, the Cubbies, Friday day game, first inning, yes. <laughs> Again, Scherzer day games, first inning, yes. He always seems to give up home runs. Uh, so I always bet that. Um, that bet, no hitter, perfect game. I'm always betting against that team. There's certain blind bets for me in our game. What about the day game after a night game? How does that affect teams? Because I, I always like fading the teams on Sunday night baseball who then play with travel the next day. And so, like, last night you had the Phillies. Nationals. And the Nationals in Williamsport. Okay. Now, I understand. Williamsport, Pennsylvania to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Not a big travel situation. I'm not worried about the Phillies against the Giants uh, tonight. But normally, I would be looking to bet those Sunday night teams that are traveling on Monday. Does that affect these guys? No. No. Especially at this point in the season. We're tired anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, No, but I'm not a fan of when... And we don't see it very much, but we did see, speaking of Michael Lorenzen, he did it last year with the Angels. He flew home a day early because they had a day game after a night game. And so he flew home early to get enough rest. That's a no-no, baby. You don't do that no more. Not in our game. We travel on first-class flights. We have our own planes, right? We have, like, no, you don't do that. So um, I'm getting my rest as a starting pitcher anyways, and I can determine and I can control the outcome of the game. We are the person who's in the most control of that baseball game more than anybody else. You can go 4-4 and hit two bombs, and we can still lose. But I can control every aspect of what I do, and I can go eight scoreless as long as my defense is playing catch. Um, No, we're tired, but again, like, I'm playing a night game. But all I'm going to do is uh, get a little bit more sleep that day because it's an evening game, so I'm getting a little bit more sleep, or usually you're getting up a lot earlier on a Sunday game. So I'm catching up on sleep there, so don't go out. Um... And then we catch our private plane back to wherever we're going, and then we wake up the next day and we and we play. Yeah, we're tired, but we all have routines, um, and we all know how to prepare. We have the best of everything. I have every doctor on staff, every massage therapist, every strength and conditioning coach, uh, every trainer. I have every type of food, healthy. I mean, I, just, I have every sauna, cold plunge. I have everything I ever need, right? So it, it's not what people think it is it doesn't to me it does we're going to be tired waking up for a one o'clock game regardless because it's just early and we're night guys we play majority of our games at seven o'clock at night right so outside of that i don't think it affects anything i've never once heard a player or i'm going back in my own brain um ever think on a flight or something oh we got a day game tomorrow oh my god i'm not gonna do good never you just know what time I got to wake up and how I prepare day games compared to night games. That's it. Like, I don't think it personally affects us. But do you, are you surprised when you see certain pitchers have like ridiculous splits from day to night? Like they're either so much better in the day than they are at night, or they're so much worse during the day than they are at night. Like, does that surprise you that some pitchers have such a dramatic split between day games and night games? No, but it's not the travel. I don't think it's just who we are as people. Does it surprise you when pitchers have such dramatic splits between day games and night games? Uh, For example, uh, the Cubs play a lot of day games, obviously. But on Wednesday, they're in Detroit playing a day game. Jamison Tyone is on the mound this Wednesday. His his day and night splits are ridiculous. During the day, 8.01 ERA in nine starts. At night, a 4.2 ERA in 13 starts. Does seeing a split like that, day game versus night game, surprise you? So, again, we're all different in so many ways. Um, There's certain stadiums I hate. I hated pitching in Fenway. I hated it. 
but Yankee Stadium and all of these are these are built so similar in the the amount of foul territory, how close the fans are to us. They're so similar in in the offensive production of these two places. But I hated Boston. But I there was just something about New York that you were just not going to lose in Yankee Stadium. And so like your pride or your ego takes in. But then there's places like Oakland where. There's so much oh foul territory, God, and it's a, dream to it's go a pitcher's play. You, you yeah. got a guy. You got a guy. To, you saw, saw one off. It flies up. Your catcher's going to catch it, or your first baseman or third baseman. So is going to catch it. There's places where I know mentally I'm already going to pitch well, or I'm not going to pitch well. You're kind of beat, or, or you're already winning. So we actually don't sign contracts in some places that we. I just don't like that place. Or sometimes I do because it's the most money I was given. So I don't really like pitching there. But they gave me a lot of money. I would have signed in Boston. They gave me enough money. I hated there. Right. So um, there's a lot of things that factor in. Some of us don't want to wake up, and some of us. Are night people, some of us are morning people, and the night's not for us. Um, there's so many different things. Like, I was awful in April, I think I was 10 games under 500 for my career, and I think I was like two and 13 or two and 15 in April. I hate cold weather, but give me 110 and 100 humidity, and I'm in. I'm in. Like, let, let's go. I love that. But I did that's why you live in Vegas. Yeah, I hated cold weather, and so I was never going to pitch well in a cold environment. So, I really had to figure out all these different ways to mentally prepare myself for that. So when I see a split like Jameson Tyone, like for instance, uh, he's a 5'8 at home and he has a 5'2 on the road. He's around 500 on both. So he's very consistent home on the road. So I'm not seeing a split there where I'm favoring him one way or the other this year. But do you think the day-night split has to do with his routine? Yeah, for sure. A lot of people hate... Dude, the game's at 7.05. I know the exact minute of everything I'm doing all day. I know the exact minute of when I'm walking out of at, at 625, I'm stretching at 630, I'm playing catch at 640, I'm on the mound at 650, but in between that, I know every minute of my throws, uh, I know when I'm walking into the dugout to get ready to get my water to go to the field to be there for the national anthems, I know everything. You disrupt that by five minutes, seven minutes, my, I got this guy throwing out the first pitch or somebody singing the anthem and they're off time, like, like there's guys that it affects us so bad, we got a 30 minute, 45 minute rain delay, dudes lose their mind. Then you can think about the timing of when I eat and what I'm eating to sustain the energy I want. Uh, that gets disrupted. There's dudes that they, they can't handle this. And so, yeah, you got to learn these players as well. It's, it's, it's not good. Um, clearly, I'm not betting on Jameson Tyone during the day. He's one in six with an eight. That means he gets rock. You think I'm not betting first inning yes in that game as well? 100% I am. And I'll do it every single time because he's given me enough workload to know that in nine starts, he's one in six with an eight. He's given up 58 hits in 39 innings, only 32 strikeouts. Uh, it, it just, it's not his thing. So, yeah, that's a, immediate. So, if I'm thinking about, and I don't care if I like the matchup or not, I can't jump Jameson Tyone during the day this season. So, if I am betting him, He's six and two with the four at night. I don't like the four, but he's six and two. There's something he's doing, winning. And you go to his innings, like he's 70 innings and 61 hits at night, 39 innings and 58 hits during the day. This kid isn't loose. He doesn't know how to get his body prepared, mm-hmm. something like that. And then it's the same thing. Like his strikeouts are so much higher. His, I mean, every his numbers 335 average in the morning, 234 average at night. Like Jameson Tyone's only a guy you bet at night this year. You have to look at this stuff. So then, like, there's a game. Um, we're recording this on Monday. So there's a game tonight, right? Houston has been struggling a little bit. Yep, we uh, talked about them with the team meeting. Yep. Yeah, so I look at them. Boston, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Boston's been playing a little bit better, right? Plus, they've had the Yankees 7-3 and three in their well, last yeah, they, 10. Well, yeah, they just swept the Yankees, they yeah. won three in a row. Um, so then I go and I look at Javier because 
I think 135 at home, and I don't think Boston's very good, but 135 at home for Houston's a good number. I'll take that with any of these guys. So I look at Javier. The first thing I do is I go to game logs because we are very streaky, good or bad. We're very streaky. So I want to see somebody doing well. I'm not trying to guess when you're going to do good. I'm not, I'm not trying to guess that at all. So I go down to his last, and I want to know what you've done for me lately. So the first thing I do is I go and I look at Javier. The first thing that stands out to me is his last three starts, and seven of his last eight have been on the road. So he's been pitching on the road. He's at one game at home in his last eight starts versus Tampa. He went six innings and three. So he's probably tired of pitching on the road. He's probably tired of preparing that way, right? So four and two-thirds, five runs, five And, and he's got home road splits that are positive at I, home. He's a 3.1. Yeah, 3.19 at home, 5.33 ERA on the road. Yeah, because he's tired of pitching on the road, and he's done it so much. So those are going to be inflated. So then I look at his last home start. And it was really, really good. And I know that he's going to be relieved to finally pitch at home. So then that's the first thing I look at. I look at how he's done. He had a bad start, but then the start before was respectful, even though he only went five. Uh, a game that he lost recently against Oakland, he gave up one hit and two runs. So they clearly hadn't scored for him. So then I start to look at that. So I'm okay with what he's been doing. I'm happy that he's finally going to pitch at home. He's probably happy to sleep in his own bed and wake up in his own bed. Maybe he has his family. I don't know what he has, right? So then I'll go over to his splits. And that's the next thing I'll do. At home, he's 4-1, and one, like you said, with the 3-9, 3-1-9. On the road, he's 4-1 and one with the 5-3-3. He's clearly getting more run support on the road. But he's also been pitching more on the road as well. Um, innings, 9-14 and 14 starts, 48-74. to 74. Um, His numbers are relatively consistent, all things considering, 240-231. So this is a very, very consistent kid. Right, so I like what I'm saying. But the fact that he's pitched so much on the road lately, you think having the home cooking does him well. Yeah, and and, and again, that last start versus Tampa, I think kind of shows that a little bit, right? And so I know um, that I like waking at home better than I like waking up in a suitcase. I know that as well, right? And so he probably got some rest. He went and did all his stuff. So then I go over to James Paxton, and I want to see how James has been pitching, which I feel like he's been pitching pretty well. Six and two, five and zero, five and four, five and one, six and three. So he's been pretty good. One bad one at Wrigley um, a few days back. So then I got to factor in that, that he's been pretty good, but I also know that he'll never go past six innings. So then I'll go to their bullpen. How's Boston's bullpen been doing? What do I feel about that bullpen and how have they been overworked lately? That's the next step I'll go. Um, and rarely do I ever get to lineups. I don't really care about lineups too much. Mm. So in this situation, knowing that they've been struggling, knowing that they're very happy to be back um, at home, Houston that is, um, also, we got to factor in, this is a big series. Like, I don't care where we're at in the standings. Boston and New York is a different environment, is a different set of adrenaline. It is the biggest rivalry in our sport and maybe in sports. And so you have all this emotion, all this media coverage. The media coverage is tripled in that game compared to what it's going to be in Houston mm-hmm. or anywhere else. It's tripled. And so I'm sidestepping reporters to get to the field to stretch, right? Well, there's a letdown coming off that as well. Because there's no rivalry between Houston and Boston, but there is the other way. So then there's a letdown coming off that. So I just feel like Boston's going to have more of a letdown just just the whole energy-wise. I think Houston's happy to be at home. I think they're tired of struggling. Uh, I think Javier pitches better at home. I don't expect a ton of runs in this game because Paxton's been pretty good. But I do think that Houston pulls this one out. So depending on the line, 
I'll take a small peek at first in, or sorry, first five under, depending on where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I'm going to take Houston in this game for all those reasons. So that's a good insight into the way that you handicap a game on a daily basis and the importance of looking at a pitcher splits and how they do at home versus on the road. And also something that you mentioned that maybe people don't read into it too much. Where have their last bunch of starts been? The fact that Javier has been all these starts on the road, all these starts on the road, nice to come back and sleep in your own bed and to be in your home ballpark and have that routine. Because as you mentioned, pitchers are such creatures of habit. Anything that throws them off can affect the game. There's little things, right, like that people don't, uh, that you'll never fact in. And this is why I think, I understand why betting baseball is so hard, but I also think it's one of the easier sports to bet just because I've been down there. Now, if I never played, I would have to dive into numbers very specifically to get information that I need. But, like, dude, I'm coming back off a off an eight-game road trip or something like that, right? Seven-game road trip. And I'm living downtown Toronto. And I'm going to wake up today on Monday after getting in last night. I probably unpacked. I'm throwing some laundry in this morning um, or this early afternoon, whatever time you wake up, right? 11 o'clock probably. Um and now I'm um, just thinking about me and one of the places I lived. I'm going to go downstairs, and I'm going to go across straight to the breakfast place. And I'm going to mm-hmm. be in between breakfast and lunch at this point. I'm going to grab that. At the same time, uh, I'm going to peek my head into the corner store and say what's up to the dude that works there because we're friends because you stop in all the time and grab a water or a protein bar or something. So you become friends with all these people. So I peek my head in. What up, my boy? Yeah, we back. We're going to get him. I got you. You need anything? <laughs> you want some tickets? No, you good? Okay, cool. And then I'm walking down the street to the dry cleaner place, which is next door. Pop my head in, say what's up to the people that work there because you become friends. Get your suit. Yeah. Get, get my <laughs> stuff back. Give them what I just dirtied up for that road trip. Talk a little bit there. Um take the trip around the block because you have so many different people that you've become friends with. If there's any other errands I have to run, but you're, you're put in this, your home, man, maybe you have a haircut scheduled or something like that. And you're just, again, it's a, it's a cool city like that because you're walking everywhere and I'm saying what's up to all my people. There's fans back. And in that city fans don't care for like your autograph or whatever they They say, what's up. They're more just, they care about like how you doing. And so mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a, uh, the conversations are so much like you feel they're friendlier. You feel at home, right? So I'm putting myself in a happy, comfortable environment, a routine environment to where by the time I get to the field, I'm in a good mood. And then I lock into whatever I'm doing. Maybe I went and caught a movie because it's my start day. So I'm relaxing at that point. Um, It's just nice to see friendly faces. If your family's there, then I'm waking up with my kids or my wife or whoever the next morning. That's obviously something that you're going to be very excited about. So then I'm playing with my kids or, or going for a walk or whatever we're doing, whatever things they need to run. And you get to I take myself out of being a professional athlete for a second, and um, I hate saying this because it sounds so disrespectful, but I'm just a normal dude for a moment, mm-hmm. right? And then I can be not normal again in a couple hours when I go to the field. Um, you know, let's say I, my kids are there and they want to run to a certain store or something or whatever, and then we go do that, and it's fun. And so I get to have this separation alive to where all the stresses that come on with being a professional athlete, and there's a lot of them, um, it kind of... They're kind of irrelevant at that moment, right? When you have your kids there or something like that. And then you can go lock back into that later. And so you're just you're just happy. I mean, there's a reason why home field advantage is such an mm-hmm. important thing. You're just comfortable, right? I don't have as many stresses for that moment. And families don't always go on the road. Uh, kids don't always travel on the road. It's a very tough thing. And sometimes, I don't know if I should say this. I remember I got to the big leagues in Baltimore in 01. And there was a veteran player we had on our team. Uh, I love this man so much. 
and he pulled me aside right away. And I, I just met the person who I had married. Uh, I just met her. And so she was coming to the games and he knew that like traveling was on the docket for people. And so he pulled me, I don't say his name. He pulled me aside and he said, uh, oh, so great. He said, JT, um, homes for family, the roads for the, roads for the boys. Hmm. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, are we clear? Yes, sir. We're clear. So the first thing I did when I went home was like, listen, you can't go on the road. Why? I don't know. I didn't ask. But mm -hmm. I'm a rookie. I'm seen, not heard. Uh, and he's a veteran. And this is what he told me the rules are. And so the last thing I'm going to do is ask any follow-up questions. Yes, sir. And so I, that's, that's it. And the only place I was told that at that time that uh, it was okay is everybody went to New York. So families uh, all came to New York. So then that was cool and take the buses and whatever. But yeah, that's what I was told right when I got there. Now it's completely wow. changed. Families yeah. and wives are on, on flights now, which blows my mind. I would never allow that to happen. I just think it's crazy. <laughs> but they're on flights now to and from, which I, I find it, we play such a selfish, selfish game. I have to be so selfish with, yeah. with everything that I do if I want to be successful because those dudes I'm playing against are really, really good. And failure means I either don't have a job or I'm back in the minor leagues. And that's not good for anybody. Um, and sometimes I, I need to cuss. I need to blow off steam. I need to yell. I need to, I want to be alone. Like, so it's not, it's not like people think, oh, you want to go out? You know, no, I don't. But I don't want to be disrespectful to my wife, my significant other. I don't want to disrespect my kids and not give them the time they deserve. Um, but selfishly, I have to do that sometimes. Or something, I want to go to the yard at noon. I don't have to beat her until 430, but I want to go at noon. Mm. Right. I don't want to stick around for a couple more hours because I feel obligated because my family's there. But it's not I need to study. I got to take care of some stuff. I got to alter. I'm not whatever the case may be. We're, it's such a selfish world we live in. Um, and there are those distractions as well. And I hate to call family distractions, but it can. And Derek Jeter, I'd always use very vocal about it. He didn't want to have a family get married or have kids until his career was over because he didn't think it was fair. And selfish was a word that he used quite a bit. He used it in his documentary, I think, on HBO mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit. And so that's why he waited so long. It's not that he wanted to wait to get married. I felt like Derek told me that he had met a few different people that he thought could be his wife. And I know he always wanted kids. He loved it. And he was so good to everybody's kids on the teams. Um, but he didn't think it was fair to what was going to make him the best possible player. Sure. To make him a Hall of Fame player. It was not fair to the contract that he signed and what he owed to the New York Yankees fan base and that organization. And so he put marriage and kids off until the end of his career because of those reasons. And so there's so many different things. But then there's guys like Mark Teixeira, who Mark loved having his family with him at all times. He felt like that kept him in such a great mind place to be successful, right? Mm -hmm. So these are all things that we don't know on the outside looking in. Yeah. Very difficult. It's wild. Wow. Well, those are the stories that you get. Former big yeah. leaguer Josh Towers here on the Major League Baseball podcast for RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm Scott Seidenberg. If you'd like to save 20% at pregame.com, use the promo code STRIKEOUT20 because JT be striking you out. STRIKEOUT20. <laughs> 
We'll save you 20% off at pregame.com. We have a variety of packages up. You can get a daily best bet if you'd like or take advantage of our discounted football packages. You can get the entire NFL season or college football season from your favorite pregame pro. Right now, we are also running our Like Super Contest contest. It's free to enter. Just go to pregame.com, click on contests, find the Super Contest. It's free, and it's just like the Super Contest. This is what you do. Five NFL sides per week, but the best part about it, you don't have to make all your picks at once. You can wait till the best numbers are available. The winner gets a choice of $1,500 cash or free entry into next year's Westgate Super Contest with free proxy service here in Vegas included. Save 20% off your purchase at pregame.com using the promo code STRIKEOUT20. For Josh Towers, I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is RJ Bell's Dream Preview, Major League Baseball Edition.